This is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with design researcher and author Victor Yako about his new book, Design for the Mind, Seven Principles of Persuasive Design. Over the next few episodes, we're going to explore the principles taught in Victor's book and really try to get to the heart of psychology and web design. Victor, welcome. So, Victor, you've written this new book, Design for the Mind, Seven Psychological Principles of Persuasive Design. And I think it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Thank you for um, for agreeing to be on this podcast. I think it'll be a huge benefit for the listeners. What prompted you to write this book? There, there are a lot of web design books out there. And, you know, I don't know that the world needs another one, but it seems like you filled a gap. So what, what prompted you to, to think about this? Sure. Uh, I like that question. It's something where I've always wanted to write a book, and I never really thought I would write a book about applying psychology to design, but it was a subject area that really lent itself to um, my coming along and writing design for the mind when my, my background is in psychology and communication, and I have my PhD. I went to Ohio State, and when I was in school, I was studying how people receive and interpret information in settings like zoos and science centers. And I had to learn a lot of the psychology of persuasion um, for the research that I was doing, because in particular, these places, zoos, science centers, art museums, what we call informal learning settings, mm-hmm. they they all have an underlying message like most nonprofits they all have a mission and they want people to walk away from a visit having learned something but also having think thought differently or considering engaging in different behaviors a concrete example might be something like zoos want families to come and have a great experience and say wow giraffes are tall and really neat looking but they also want people to walk away with an understanding that the plight of the giraffe in the wild might not be then we might not have giraffes in 20 years if things continue the way they are and why is that and what can your behavior do to contribute to lessening the cause of giraffe extinction let's say and so that's something that comes along more subtly and there's more psychology involved in how do you communicate these messages in those settings and so I looked a lot at persuasion and that's how I uh, wrote up my dissertation through that lens mm-hmm. Fa- fast forward to five well, or six b- before years you, later before you do that let, let me ask a question about that so sure there are a certain number of zoos in the United States let's say for for example how many are aware of that role um, or that communication channel, that subtlety that has to be done there? Is this something that is um, across the board, or is it, you know, half of them do a good job at it, or are they all aware of it? I don't know if any of them do a good job at it, unfortunately, but I would say that they're all aware of the fact that, so to be a, let's, if we're going to talk specifically about zoos, zoos to be accredited by the international and national accreditation agency have to have conservation education Mm -hmm. as part of their mission. So whether they're simply saying do X because of the plight of the wild giraffe or they're trying to interweave that message in a more subtle way throughout the experience 
they have agreed that this is something that's important to them and how they do it though could be much better informed and and one of the issues that zoos and science centers and places like that have is that they often deal with very static signage that Mm -hmm. doesn't change a lot over time and you can't create three versions of the same sign and place them right next to each other to try to appeal to three different mindsets however that changes with technology and you can have things like touch screens or interactive kiosks that do surface information that's different depending on the visitor type and so that's a direction that zoos were heading um, when I was working with them but they're sort of laggards on the technology curve due to financial reasons sure. they they don't really have the money to embrace new technology if it hasn't been proven so there is an awareness that you know whether they are blatantly saying it's psychology that we need to tap into or not that this message needs to come across effectively and another thing and the job that i was doing that that was earning me money during my graduate studies and then for the next few years was that a lot of science centers and zoos apply for and receive grant money from Mm -hmm. either the federal government or other organizations that are aligned with certain causes and usually as a condition of the grant they need to evaluate the effectiveness of their message so if you've received you know, a, a grant from the National Science Foundation, and it's around trying to increase interest in science and technology career paths among children. You have to find a way to measure that, and that's where we would create studies, uh, try to measure if there was any meaningful change or awareness that came about people interacting in the different exhibits that had been had received funding, and so. So it's a challenge both for the zoo and then also as somebody who is coming in as a researcher, like how do you measure learning in these settings? And there's a whole body of literature that argues whether or not there is one right way or a number of right ways or no right way and we're all doing it wrong. So it's it's not a huge field, but it's definitely something that exists. And psychology plays a huge role in any setting in, in which people are learning, in which people are engaging in behaviors that you have to account for or you're not going to have an effective experience. Right. Uh, and that was something that you know really just became obvious working in those zoo settings is if you're not accounting for it, you're really you're not going to get lucky. Right. So really, I'm, I'm thinking here as and we'll get to, you know, the, the what this means for the Web and, and communicating via technological channels. But. In, as you were talking, I was thinking the zoo or the zoos are really a community um, and it's sort of the proxy for your customer or constituency that you're going on uh, after in the web. And so in the zoos, as you've been drawing out through your experience, shows us that there are some specific needs that they need to communicate, um, sp- specific information that they have to effectively transfer to the consumers of the zoos. And so your background, you know, in trying to do that, you've sort of extracted that and said, well, really, this is how we interact with information. Is that true? Or That's that's exactly right. And, you know, it was a subtle thing to me that I didn't realize how broadly applied these things that I were learning because I had this very narrow view of my world at that time, which was I'm working in zoos, science centers, art museums, and these are the people I interact with, and I know what their mission is, and I know that 
what people look like when they're coming into these settings and how they behave. But uh, yeah, it had much broader application mm-hmm. if you the way you described it, which is it's information, it's interacting with information that was one specific setting. Right. Would you say in some ways that design for the mind is the equivalent to the phrase effective communication? Yeah, I would say that. I think that that's, it's definitely, if you look at, if you define communication broadly as, you know, symbols, experiences that people have, Mm -hmm. Yes, that's it's effectively communicating because that is ultimately what taps into psychology, what taps into people's value systems right. and activates certain behaviors or a desire to do something or a desire to never do something again. <laughs> exactly, yes. Well, it sounds like we could really continue this interview, and let's do that over the next couple more episodes. Uh, next time, we're going to continue our interview with Victor and delve deeper into some of these concepts but we really encourage you to uh, get a copy of victor's book um, design for the mind seven principles of persuasive design Uh, i found it incredibly insightful and very helpful